Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Well, good morning, Movement Church. It's so good to see your beautiful faces. I, I, literally, every week you end up looking better than the week before. It's amazing. For some of you, it's miraculous. And so we're glad that God is a miracle-working God. But man, I'm so glad that you're with us. We've got some exciting things in store for you today. But before I dive into the third part of our series, Living with Lions, I just want to give you a heads up, a spoiler alert. At the end of our service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to jump on board with a sponsorship where you can potentially sponsor a child at our feeding site or care point in Swaziland. And uh, so just giving you a heads up, be prepared, prepare your hearts, because I, I know God's going to do some exciting things in and through that. Well, how many of you uh, travel at all? Or do, have you ever been on a plane before? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, I feel like I'm among friends. Uh, my wife and I just did a couple of back-to-back trips that involved some pretty large time change, uh, aka jet lag issues. And I don't know about you, but I can't sleep on an airplane. Anybody can relate? Uh, my wife is the kind of person that can sleep anywhere, standing up, sitting down, laying down, it doesn't matter. But when you're like this in an airplane, it doesn't, it just, and, and you lean your chair back, it's like this and it doesn't matter. Can I get an amen? Well, I was so exhausted. I had finally dozed off to sleep. My eyes were not only closed, but my, my body was like going into that mm, sleep zone. And my wife and I uh, were sitting across the aisle from each other. And I'm like in this amazing zone of sleep. And all of a sudden, in my sleep, I feel some scratching, tickling sensation on my arm. And then you know how when you're sleeping and all of that catches up with reality that someone is touching you, I jolted awake, and my wife was drawing on my arm. You laugh. I was angry. I threw my tray at her. No, I'm kidding. I was just so angry. I was like, I just got to sleep. I never get to sleep on an airplane. And she so compassionately said, get over it. And so I, I went trying to go back to sleep, and it's now another 20 minutes, and I'm just, I, this never happens. It was a miracle I was falling asleep on an airplane. And I, I finally drift off to sleep in this position. And I've got the little thing folded around my head, and I'm like, like this, trying to sleep. And, and I start to, in my sleep, I'm dreaming of it raining. And I can feel cold drops of water hitting my body. And then all of a sudden, these cold drops of water start hitting me in the face on my lip. And I'm like, and then again, rush to reality. And I, I wake up and the flight attendant has the trash bag with all the juices literally over my face. And the juice, the juice, my friends, backwash nastiness is in a pouch above my face. And, I'm like, nah, nah, and I push this thing away. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, the juice is dripping on my face. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he leaves. And he comes back with the tiniest napkin. It was a horrible first world experience. And all that to say, I think sometimes we feel like life is doing that to us, right? Like the trashy juice. Right when things seem to start working, just start dripping on your face. And I think sometimes, honestly, do you feel the mood shifting? I think sometimes we think God's going to do that to us. And it kind of keeps us from either coming through the doors of a church or being open to what God wants to do once we make it through the doors. And I just want to take, everybody take a deep breath. 
man, I think God wants to do something pretty awesome today. But here's the crazy kicker. You and I have to be open to it. We just got to be open. So I'm going to pray a prayer as we jump into today's message. And here's what I'm going to pray. And I'd ask that you would join me. I'm going to pray that our hearts would be open and our ears would be open to hear and receive what God can do. Can we do that today? Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around. God, we thank you that you, you're not here to drip the proverbial trash juice of life on us. But God, you came to give us life and life more abundantly. Like the song that we sang, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And I just pray that today, as we open our hearts and ears to hear and receive whatever you wanna do, that you'd speak so clearly and lean in in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Carrie, and uh, my wife and I are some of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us today. And Megan, I got to tell you, those shoes are everything. When I saw those, I was distracted by your face and your shoes. They were simultaneously amazing. But we are in the middle of a series. Actually, it's a four-week series called Living with Lions. We're in week three. And a series at the Movement Church is like a book. Each week represents a different chapter. So if you missed the previous chapters, go back and get the podcast, because this series is directed poignantly focus in on people who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. So if you're here today and you say, that's me, I am a follower, a believer, then I want to just challenge you to lean in. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you fit on the faith persuasion or what it is that you believe, I want to encourage you permission to belong before you believe. This whole series is about learning to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And we're doing this through the lens of an amazing Bible character found in the Old Testament named Daniel. Now, Daniel, he figured this thing out. How do we stand firm for what I believe, but also simultaneously love and maintain my influence? And the crazy thing about Daniel is he's actually, in the context of this story, found in captivity as a slave to a tyrannical king named Nebuchadnezzar. I know, one of your favorite names ever. And he's got three of his closest friends who also have great names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know what I'm talking about because of VeggieTales? Raise your hand. Okay. The rest of you, it's all right. No worries. I'm going to bring you up to speed. Now, we find these guys in slavery, yet at a position of influence where the king and the rulers are trying to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. So they're trying to persuade Daniel and his friends to remove the faith and the culture with which they were raised and adapt to or adopt the cultural values of Babylon. And my friends, today we are faced with the same dilemma. We're faced with a culture and a nation who would try to insist and persuade those of us that are called believers to disregard and get rid of the values that we believe in and adopt to the culture of our society. It surfaces like this. I believe I can stand firm in my faith and make it to heaven, but I believe along the way I'll probably lose my friends and my influence. Or if I want to have influence and and maintain friendship, then I've actually got to water down the gospel message. It's this battle, this dichotomy between this dogmatic approach to truth and an unholy approach 
to grace. But here's the great thing. Jesus brought both truth and grace together simultaneously. Now, last week we talked about Babylon not just being a location, but a mentality. And it's the root of all of our cultural challenge. And that is the root of pride. Pride. And how that is the essence of everything counter to what God wants to do in our life. Now, next week, we're going to wrap this up with probably the most important message. And that's how we do everything in love. But today, we're going to push pause. And we're going to talk about what to do when culture bucks. When culture slaps you in the face and dares you to choose truth. Now, here's the crazy thing. Most of us in this room will never face an opportunity where we either say yes to Jesus and lose our life. Are you tracking with me? Where we have to actually lose our life because of our faith. So the challenges that you and I are up against are merely standing for truth. And I believe at the core of who I am, this is harder for most of us than we're willing to admit. It's harder for most of us just to think about possibly inviting someone to church on Easter that has no faith background because we're worried about what they might think about us. Or when we're in an environment at work or at school or at Saddleback College when people that are around us are talking in an inappropriate way to actually stand up and say, hey, I just can't be a part of this right now. This is a challenge for most of us. So the title of my message today is to stand. Everybody say stand. I want to challenge you, if you never have before, if you do regularly, either one of you, I want to challenge you to take notes today. You can text the word notes to the number that's on the screen and it will give you all the verses and the points that I'm going to elaborate on today. And I believe the reason we need to take notes is because we often are struggling with this. Most of us won't face being martyred, but we struggle with the idea of praying for our food in public. Or maybe you go to dinner with that one person who actually wants to hold hands above the table and you're like... Okay, it's a little bit much there, buddy. Nobody? Okay. There's two hallmarks in the book of Daniel that talk about the importance of standing. The first one is most common that you might have heard of or maybe you've read before. It's about Daniel, because of his faith being persecuted, ends up in a lion's den, hence the title of our series, Living with Lions. The second is what we're going to talk about today. And the key characters we're going to focus in on are Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We pick up this story in Daniel chapter 3. You can find that in your notes or to be on the screen if you want to follow along with us. Daniel chapter 3, we find this tyrannical king right off the gate, off the bat. Here's what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. And I just want to pause there for a moment and draw your attention to the word image. That word, image and sounds, image and sound, culture's way of making its God our God is never a blatant attempt. It always uses images and sounds in a way that actually sneaks in through the back door and starts to subtly shift our belief. Culture uses every form of medium from music to television to movies to the press. And it's screaming loudly at us, but usually masked through humor and simplicity. When I was growing up, one of the blatant ways that culture did this was through a show that I did watch on a regular basis called The Simpsons. Anyone in here watch The Simpsons at all? Four of you. So you probably don't know who Ned Flanders is, but he was the crazy Christian neighbor. Hi, diddly ho, neighbor. He was a goober. And they made him the Christian. And that's what culture does all the time. 
tells you that your faith is archaic and outdated. And it uses images and sounds to do so subtly. The scripture goes on to say, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 60 cubits, six cubits wide, so it's 90 feet tall, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other provincial leaders and officials to come to the dedication, look at that, of the image he had set up. So the satraps and prefects and governors, these are all leaders and influential people in the area, magistrates and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Verse four says this, then the herald loudly proclaimed nations and people of every language. This is what you are commanded to do. Let me just pause right there and tell you that culture will do just that. It will bring you to a place where you and I think we have to bow down to the proverbial whims of what culture says. That if you don't believe what we believe, then you are an idiot and outdated and archaic and it's old school and it doesn't work anymore. They'll make us believe as if it's a command. Look at what verse five says. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and pipe. These are all instruments. I didn't see a zither on stage, but it's okay. It's still biblical. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all kinds of music, all the nation and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here is the sound and the image. And here we begin to see this taking place and all of the people are supposed to bow down to the image that culture has dictated as so. But now our three characters emerge on the scene. Daniel chapter three, verse 12. I love how the tables begin to turn. In the process of this, the leaders and officials that worked for Nebuchadnezzar saw that there were people not specifically being obedient. And look at what we read. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They ran to Nebuchadnezzar to tattletale on these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. The stage is set right here. You can almost feel the tension. Our three heroes, an evil emperor, a golden image, and the test is set before. Will these gentlemen stand for what they believe? Let me just tell you right now, you are currently bowing to something. You just need to make sure it's the right thing. We're currently bowing to something. We gotta be careful where we invest our time, our money, our attention, our affection, and more importantly, our best. Most of the time when I sit down with a couple that's going through challenges in marriage, there's usually a deficit or a vacuum of something missing. And when we dive into the root of it, we find that usually one or the other is committing time and energy and creative thought into either work or children. And then their spouse gets their sloppy leftovers. 
or their children gets their sloppy leftovers. Hey, who's getting the best of you? You know, sometimes we have to give a lot of time to work, nine hours, nine to five, and I've got to get there. But does your work get your best or do your children? Does your family? What are you giving your best to? You're bowing to something. I'm telling you, look at me in the eyes for a moment, people. I don't care what it is that you do for a living. There will come a day where someone else does what you do. There will come a day, hopefully 20 to 30 years from now, where someone else will stand here and preach and lead the movement church. And it won't be me. Now, they'll be okay, Not as good, but they'll be okay. (laughs) Now, my prayer is they'll be amazing and take us to the next level, but it won't be me. And I'll come to a point where I either invested my best into this church or into my family. This church gets a lot of my time and it gets some good components of who I am. But what's more important than this church is my wife and my kids. Who's getting your best? You're bowing to something. You're bowing to something. Look at how Nebuchadnezzar responds. He responds like the world responds. He gets ticked. And that's the thing that's a challenge about where we live. We live in a toxic culture that says, if you don't believe what I believe, it's not just that we disagree, but I actually can't stand you and I might even hate you. Just because you don't believe what it is that I believe. Verse 13, look at how Nebuchadnezzar responds, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, he starts to reason with them. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, and all the other instruments, if you're ready to fall down at that point and worship the image that I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's like he's saying, I'll give you one more chance, like little bunny foo-foo. Anyone? I'm not going to sing the song. I did that in first service, but they all told me not to do it again, ever. I'll give you one more chance. And that's what today is literally about. When culture dares you to actually Stand, listen to me, young person, at the end of that date, I don't care how good looking he is or how good looking she is, culture is going to be daring you to stand firm in your faith at the end of that date. When you gather around the water cooler and every other co-worker is talking about that other uh, co-worker and, or that boss that you have and how horrible they are, culture is going to be daring you, will you stand firm and talk really bad about them? No, I'm kidding. Culture is going to be daring you. Will, you. will you stand firm and speak life? Will you choose negativity? Or will you choose life? It literally slaps us in the face. When, when, when you write down the names of people in this card for Easter, and then you see them after you write their name down, culture is going to be daring you. Can you actually invite them? Will you actually be brave enough and courageous enough to stand up? And I'm not talking about standing firm and telling someone else how they should or should not be acting. I'm talking about standing firm when culture tries to make you bow down to its images. I'm talking about you standing firm for what you believe. Next week, we're going to talk all about love and how we need love. But today we're going to talk about standing. So I want you to write down a few thoughts 
before we leave today. Number one, standing firm takes courage. Write that down. Standing firm takes courage. Courage comes from the Latin word, which means heart. And this isn't about some action. It's, it's not about the person who's not afraid of anything. It's a, about the person who chooses in the midst of overwhelming fear just not to bow down. And standing firm takes courage. We see this in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 16. They replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Hey, we're not even going to talk about it. We're not changing what we believe. We're not even worried is what it sounds like, doesn't it? But that's because we're on this side of the story. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, I picture these three adorned in Avengers uniform on top of this battle-torn field with smoke in the foreground and like just kind of flexing their muscles with just abs of steel. Anybody else picture them like that? But I promise you, I would even submit to you, these guys could feel the fullness of fear. The fullness. They were some of the brightest young men in the entire land. They were brought into the courts of Nebuchadnezzar because of their strength, their wisdom, and their insight. But my friends, I want to submit to you, before they even had the chance, they had weighed the cost. They had weighed the cost. And they were thrust into the proverbial furnace before their feet even touched a flame. And that's where you and I face the challenges today. Moments just like these that will probably not be life-threatening, but they will threaten your identity. Do you really say and believe what you say? Will you really stand? When our belief is our identity, if we waver, then guess what else wavers our identity? Courage is not the absence of fear, it's standing firm in the presence of fear. I believe we're called to stand. Look at what happens in the next part of this story. We find that standing firm takes faith. Write that down. Standing firm takes faith. Faith that God is with me and I'm not standing alone. That God is with me and he's for me. Verse 17 says this. After they've told him, hey, we, we don't even need to have this discussion. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this. But, everybody say but. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They had faith that God would stand with them. And I think it's the faith that we need to hold to today. Their faith was not in the outcome. The faith was not in whether or not they would be burnt up by the furnace. Their faith was in a God who says, I am the one true and living God. And I'm telling you, as a believer, you're faced with this. But if you follow who Jesus is, it's always a win-win with him. The word says in Romans 8, 28, for we know in all things, all things, that God is working for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And you don't feel it until you're faced with it. But if you're not prepared for it when you're faced with it, there's the truth is we'll probably buckle to the whims and bow before culture. Both my wife and I were faced with stuff just like this. Both of our fathers battled cancer for multiple years and it ravaged their body. And I believe that God is a God who heals today. Not just in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament, but today. And when your father is on his deathbed dying from cancer, it moves your faith. 
And we prayed with everything we knew to pray. We squeezed our eyes even tighter. We would fast and not eat things, just trying to do everything we knew to do. And after years, both of my dad and her father passed away. And I will tell you right now, that will challenge you at your faith. Why? Because often we put our faith in the outcome and the circumstance, not in who God is and what he wants to do. What I found, what I found is God is really not concerned with what I think is best. Because he's got a better plan. He's got a better plan. You know what? My dad and her dad are partying in heaven right now, probably together. Deep theological conversations, arguing with people and loving every minute of it. Thankful they're not here anymore. As awesome as his kids are, mostly this one. Are you tracking with me? Paul said the same thing. He said to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, fine. He was, wrote that while he was in prison facing death, actually. He says, if I live, this is awesome. I get to keep preaching and writing the Bible. And if I die, party in heaven. It's always a win-win. Look at me in the eyes. You can't mess with a guy or a girl who's a follower of Christ because it's always a win-win. Stand firm. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not bow. We will not serve your gods. Even if it means we die, we will not bow. Standing firm takes faith. Turn to somebody next to you and say, standing firm takes faith. Here's what faith is about. Faith is the fact that we're standing for someone, not against something. For far too long, Christians have been known for what they stand against rather than what they stand for. And we stand for grace and hope and mercy and love. And faith is about standing for our God. That's what faith is. We're not against people, we're for God. Don't don't mix or confuse the two. You've heard the statement before, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I believe this is the key that we've gotta hold on to as a church. I'm not standing against a political party or any group of people, I'm for God. By the way, the movement church is apolitical. I don't care who you voted for, literally. I love you, the end. We are not about a people group or whether Black Lives Matter or police officers. We are for people and we are for God. Are you tracking with me today? And culture is going to slap us in the face on a regular basis and try to force us into this dogmatic approach to truth because then they put us on the guillotine and drop the cord or we shift into this unholy approach to grace and we water down the gospel and slap the very essence of what Jesus did on the cross. We have to be both and. In this scripture, we find Nebuchadnezzar, he responds so angry, furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 19. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and all their clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Verse 22, then the king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And the story shifts. 
Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into, I remember counting three. And when we talked to him just a moment, weren't there just three guys? And they replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unburned and unharmed. And the fourth, he looks like the son of God. I would submit to you that was Jesus. In theology, this is referred to as a theophany. We don't have time to unpack this today. But all through scripture, we see where Jesus is like, you know, I'm gonna go hang out with my peeps for a minute. Look at what Daniel verse 26 says. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <laughs> servants of the most high God. He's changed his tune. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and all those people, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. You know, I'm not sure exactly why it is that we fail to stand, but I believe it's because we actually believe we're going to lose or end up toe up from the flow up and lose everything we fought. Is that what you guys say regularly? We lose everything that we fought for. We lose everything that we've stood for. The moment we stand, we're going to be gone. But with God, it's always a win-win. It's always a win-win. Look at this. Nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Standing firm, my friends, it inspires others around us. It inspires us. Look at me. We live in a culture where everyone literally just kind of shifts from one perspective to the other and there's something refreshing about finding someone who actually lives what they believe. So dads, look at me. Pray for your kids. Not just when they're in bed, but with them. Let them see that. Don't let faith be some passive aggressive approach in your life. At work, choose to speak life. We don't need, the gossip train is running 24 seven. Jump off that sucker. Stop talking negativity. It's everywhere. So your boss is horrible. Get over it. Start speaking life. Maybe teenager, your teacher hates you. Then become someone that she or he's going to fall in love with in an appropriate way. <laughs> hey, ladies, stop telling your husband of all the things that you don't like and that he needs to fix. No one ever changed because of incessant nagging ever. But start speaking to his potential. If your teenager is being a knucklehead, stop telling him or her that and start speaking to their potential. I just saw a teenager look at her mom like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Teenagers, don't shift to the whims of this world. Stand. No matter how people are around you, this church is here for you. We believe in you, not because we want you to be perfect, but because we believe that you're warriors. So stand and be a warrior. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the, gosh, 
That hurt. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other gods except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. So now Nebuchadnezzar knows God, but he still needs some freedom. Amen. He needs a connect group. Can I get it? Amen. So he's a work in progress, right? We serve the only true God if you don't cut them in pieces, right? So anyways, verse 30, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king promoted, look at this. I love this. He promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. We think that if we stand for what we believe, we lose influence, lose what we've been working for. But with God, it's always a win-win. And I believe it's a movement, church, man. We're called to this kind of influence, to be a voice in our city, our county, our state, our nation, to clothe the homeless, to reach orphans, to visit the prisons, to feed forgotten children in a forgotten nation, to impact our neighbors and our coworkers and our family. Listen, look at me in the eyes. You can either be a voice or an echo. It takes zero to become an echo. We live in a culture where it's just a life at the speed of echoes, but God's called us to be a voice. Look at me, be who God has called you to be and stand. You don't stand alone. That's what we're here for as a church. Jump on the dream team, jump into connect groups. Don't stand alone. Just choose to stand. Just choose to stand. Almost finished, I've got to wrap up quickly. Are y'all cool if I go five minutes longer? How many, raise your hand if you're okay if I go five minutes longer. Five, 10, 15, 20, 20. Okay, good. The preacher joke. Hashtag preacher joke. Worked in first service too. <laughs> Just choose to sing. You know that's true, right? I preach the same message in both services. I make the same jokes. And sometimes they don't work in either. And sometimes one is better than the other. But so far, you guys are laughing harder. So I feel like we're, we're better friends. <laughs> Let me leave you with this last thought. If you're not standing for something... We are not, sorry, standing for something. Let me say this again. We are standing for something, not against something. We're standing for. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what you need to stop doing. But rather, what we want to inspire you to do is to live a life worth living. We want to inspire you to have a life worth living. So let me give you a couple of thoughts of things to stand for. Can we do that? I'm going to try to do this in five minutes. You feel I can do that? I feel good. Number one, write this down. Stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. Religion is hijacked prayer. It's made it some traditional thing that we do, depending on your faith background. It's made it some passive, quiet thing that we do. I don't know if you're raised in church, but there used to be this deal where you would stand in a circle and hold hands. And if you wanted to pray, you could. And if not, you squeeze the person's hand on your left. Anybody else grow up like that? Well, two of you. Awesome. You're welcome. We don't do that here. I believe the greatest thing we can do is pray. Absolutely. 
Ephesians, Ephesians reminds us of the battle that we're up against. In chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's the playbook that he has on your life and on mine. We don't need armor unless we're in a battle. We're in a fight. The writer goes on to say, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, when life is dripping the nasty trash juices on you, you may be able to, what's that word? No, no, come on, like you mean it. What's that word? Stand Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to, come on, let's try that again. What does it say in verse 14? Stand firm. You don't have to make this a passive part of your day. Make it a dynamic part of your day. Many of you are in this room because someone somewhere prayed for you. Literally. Someone somewhere. We have a team of people that gathers every Tuesday to pray for you even before we meet you. So make it a part of your day. Maybe you don't know how to pray, and that's okay. Most Christians don't. You can text the word read to the number that we use all the time. And this is what's gonna pop up. It's gonna send you a link to this webpage. And we map out how to actually read the Bible and how to pray. Right here at the bottom says, what do I pray? This is the prayer path that I follow. I pray for specific things every day. And then down below it, it says, how do I pray? Maybe you don't need that, but if you do, don't let there be an excuse. Stand in prayer. Number two, stand for your purpose. Stand for your purpose. I love what 1 Corinthians says in chapter 15. Look at this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And all of hell is going to fight to keep you from doing what only you can do for God. All of hell unleashed to keep you as an individual from doing what only you can do for God. So look at me, stop hiding behind excuses and stand for your purpose. You might say, well, I'm just not worthy. I got to get some things right. I'm kind of jacked up. I'm really disqualified. Well, welcome to the club. Everyone on our team is jacked up and disqualified. Can I get an amen from some jacked up people? Some are really jacked up. Like, don't hang out with them. It's scary. Stop hiding behind your excuse. I'm just not worthy enough. Welcome to the club. I'm just, I had a bad week. Welcome to the club. Trash juice stripped in my mouth. I'm just really busy. Welcome to the club. Like you're the only person with a full schedule and a busy life. Well, I've got soccer and baseball and work and... Are you tracking with me today? Stop hiding. I, I'm just saying, don't ever give up on your calling in life, ever, ever, ever. We can help you discover that if you don't know. You can text the word test. And it's about 10 minutes. We'll tell you everything that's gonna happen in the next 15 years of your life. I'm kidding. Let's pull back the curtain. Hey, here's an idea. Oh, you mean that? I can actually take that and, and help Inspire people and give them hope? Absolutely. It's the craziest thing. We, we believe that your design reveals your destiny. That's why we exist as a church, to help you find that. I, I, I wish I could 
tell you, I, I, if I was to tell you on a regular basis how often I wanted to quit, it would really disappoint you. It really would. If I could communicate to you how often I feel disqualified, it would really disappoint you. The only reason I am here is because my wife makes me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the only reason I'm here today is, is for one reason. Outside of the grace of God. I just chose not to quit. Today. Today, I chose not to quit. So stop hiding. And fight and stand for your purpose. All of hell will do everything it will, it can to keep you from doing what only you can do. Number three, stand for God. Stand for God. If you don't do anything else, stand for God. Why? Because he stood for you. Jesus laid down everything. His title, his position of royalty in heaven. The Bible says he took on the form of a man. He met temptation in every struggle that you and I have ever met. He laid it all down and he picked up his cross for you. He said, hey, if you'll just acknowledge me, if you'll stand for me, I'll, I'll acknowledge you. But if you deny me, if you won't stand for me, then this really didn't mean anything. You were just punching a church clock and I'll deny you. I love the message paraphrase of that same scripture, Matthew 10, 32. It says, stand up for me against world opinion and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. Stand for God. Let me close with this last thought. Scripturally, we know that currently Jesus isn't standing. The Bible says that he's seated on the right hand of the Father. All throughout the New Testament, Colossians 3.1, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But we do see him standing one time in the New Testament. Surrounding a story of a character named Stephen. This is in the beginning of the church in the New Testament. And Stephen is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's standing for what he believes. Only at that time, he was risking his life to do so. Then we find Stephen standing before the court who sentenced him to death because of his faith and a death by stoning, which meant that he would be tied to a pole and the community elders and leaders and anyone who wanted to would come out with rocks and stones and pelt him with it until it built up from the ground to his head and he would consequently die. And we see in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, this story unfold. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus does stand on some occasions when you stand. When you stand. Like he gets up to his feet with his hands clapping. That's my kid. Write this down. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. Let me pray for us. But with heads up and eyes open, I'm gonna pray for courage and boldness to stand. Look at me. 
you're already choosing to stand for something, but I'm telling you, this week and in the upcoming weeks, I know there's gonna be moments where you can stand for what God wants or you can bow to the whims of culture and I'm gonna pray that this sermon is brought to your attention. And that you'll have the courage to stand. Look at me because I believe you can. I believe it's a mandate on our lives. A mandate on the church. Not to have some dogmatic approach to truth. I know what I know and I know what I believe. You're wrong and I'm right. Not an unholy approach to grace, but something right in the middle. Wrapped up in the essence of love. Let me pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. God, I just thank you that you're here. I pray, God, you give us the courage and the boldness to stand in the midst of adversity, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we feel we may lose, God, I pray that you would help us to stand with courage and with faith. God, to stand in prayer, to stand for our purpose and to stand for you, not against people, not against ideas, but just to stand for the truth of who you are. I pray, God, that you would help us to be the salt of the earth, to bring the flavor of life to this world. God, I pray that we would be light into darkness and bring hope to the hopeless. God, I pray for every individual in this room as we face the times where we're forced to choose that you'd help us to stand. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hey, before I dismiss, I wanna just pray for some of us in this room who standing simply means making a commitment to Jesus. For you, standing means beginning a faith journey. And now look at me, I'm not talking about church membership or eradicating your past. I'm just talking about starting with Jesus. And it is a decision. It is a moment. You don't have to get everything right. All we have to do is believe. And some of us in this room, the next step for us is just to stand by beginning that journey. And I'm going to give you a chance to do just that in a moment. I'm going to pray a prayer and right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart or in a small whisper, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me and begin this journey. And for some of us, look at me for a moment. We actually need to pray this prayer again because we've been running from our destiny. We've not been standing for what we believe. We've been running from our calling and today's a day to come running back and say, God, today I'm choosing to stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer today, it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time. Right where you're seated, just make this prayer your own. Just say, dear God, thank you for standing for me. I'm not perfect. I don't have everything figured out. Would you forgive me, God? Today I choose to stand for you. Just make this statement your own. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.